Champions Mojo is part of the CG Sports Network. I do think that you can develop confidence uh, over time. That's a, I do believe that's a slow process, but it is uh, just like things can chip away at your confidence. You can also continue to put things in your back pocket that are just going to, you know, build confidence, things that you can reference. Welcome to Champions Mojo, a podcast to bring out your inner champion. Your hosts are sisters-in-law, Kelly Palace and Maria Parker. Kelly is a former Division I head swim coach, Olympic trials qualifier, and holds national and world records in master swimming. Maria holds world records in endurance cycling and won the world's toughest bike race, Race Across America. Both are certified health and life coaches. Our goal is to inspire you through conversations with champions. And now your host, Kelly Pallas. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Champions Mojo podcast, where today we are going to chat with one of the premier swim coaches in the world, Coach Greg Meehan. As usual, I am co-hosting with Maria Parker. Hello, Maria. Hi, Kelly. How are you doing today? I am so excited. I am really excited. Coach Greg Meehan is the head coach of the Stanford Women's Swimming and Diving Program. He is a three-time NCAA Swimming Coach of the Year and has led Stanford to three consecutive national championships in 2017, 2018, and 2019. Coach Meehan has coached some of the greatest swimmers of all time, including Katie Ledecky, Simone Manuel, Maya Dorado, and Leah Neal. But first, Maria, can you tell us a little bit more about Coach Meehan's career? Sure, Kelly. Prior to Stanford, Coach Meehan spent five seasons coaching with the Cal men's swimming and diving team. As an international coach, he was the assistant coach for Team USA at the 2016 Rio Summer Olympic Games. He was the head coach for Team USA Women's Swimming at the 2017 and 2019 FINA World Championships. And he will serve as the head coach for the women's swimming team in the 2021 Tokyo Summer Olympics. Yes, Maria. So Coach Mian is well known for his ability to coach athletes through adversity which we find ourselves in today. So let's welcome Coach Meehan to the show. Welcome so much, Greg. We're so pleased to have you here. Yes, welcome, Thanks, Greg. Kelly. Thanks, Maria. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Great, great. So, Coach, we, we want to start off the top of the show with this pandemic and really so much disappointment in the swimming community from little kids that listen to this that had their their spring, you know, championship meets canceled to the NCAA swimmers who didn't get their senior year to finish out or didn't, you know, didn't shave and taper for their conference meet and didn't swim in NCAAs to the postponement of Olympic trials to even our non-swimming listeners who may have uh, had their wedding postponed or, you know, just me, a, a, an old master swimmer, I didn't get to swim in nationals this summer. So, what are you advising your swimmers and what, what words of wisdom can you give us to help us get through this time and, you know, kind of what you're sharing with, with your swimmers to get through this? Uh, that's a great question, Kelly. Uh, you know, you touched on, on a couple of nerves there because uh, it's funny, you mentioned the wedding. My sister's postponed her wedding three different times. You know, <laughs> How awful. Time. And, you know, are, I think about the, 
you know, our seniors this year um, having their careers cut short uh, just before the NCAA championships. And they have had an, an unbelievable career. Uh, they, they've won all the dual meets they ever competed in. They won four years of Pac-12 championships and they had won uh, the NCAA championships their first three years. And, and they oh. you know, just kind of fell short of the opportunity to, to finish their career uh, truly undefeated. And so, yeah, it's been, I think that initial phase in, in March with those cancellations and then not too long after that with the postponement of Olympic trials and the Olympic games um, was, a, was a really hard stretch. But things have, have somewhat stabilized, maybe not you know, nationally in terms of the news or politics, but um, certainly things have stabilized from a, from a swimming perspective. And okay, we, we have a, a little bit of a better idea of, of what the day-to-day looks like, maybe what the next few months look like. It's a little difficult to sort of project beyond that, but we're really just trying to encourage everyone to take it one day at a time and to control the things that you actually have control over, which nowadays doesn't seem like a lot. Um, so I think it's even more important that hey, if there's these two or three things that, that you can you know, take control of and, and put your best foot forward, then that's what you have to do because everything else is way outside of our control uh, from, from pandemic to, uh, to, to sort of the political climate to everything. It's like, all right, let's, let's just really simplify things and let's put our best foot forward and, and see where that takes us. Is that something that, you know, sort of the deal, deal with what you can deal with control what you can, is that, that's something that you learned in your life early? Because I also read an article about how, you know, how good you are, you know, when you're, when you're swimmers for your swimmers and with your swimmers, when things aren't going as planned. So yeah, like we said in the intro, you're good at, at adversity. So how did you learn that? And, and uh, you know, is that something that's just something that goes with sport? Or is that sort of your life experience? Yeah, no, I, I think it's definitely something that's come through just through the sport. And uh, swimming is not for the faint of heart, right? Nobody gets into swimming thinking that it's going to be an easy path. Um, it's pretty easy up until you get to about 13 in terms of, Hey, every time you race, you go best time. And this is easy. This is great. And then reality sets in and you, you become a teenager and things are harder. And then your, your opportunities to, to show actual tangible improvement on a scoreboard become so few and far between. I mean, you're, you're peaking twice a year, maybe, maybe it's just once a year for some of our professional athletes. So you have to learn how to handle adversity. And uh, I think one of the things that our program does well is we, we sort of embrace that idea and create opportunities for adversity within a, within a training setting, whether it's through stuff we're doing in the water, whether it's things we're doing on dry land, whether it's, uh, you know, cultural uh, issues. Uh, but we try and, and sort of embrace those challenges, embrace adversity and learn from that. As you might imagine, the the women that come into the program here at Stanford are are fairly successful in mm. everything that they've done to this point in their life, and they're coming in the door here at 17 or 18 years old. They've only had A's in in their entire academic career. They're they're clearly swimming at a, a really high level to be able to earn a spot on our team, you know. And they've never quote unquote failed, right. uh, and so you know we we create opportunities for them to fail right away. <laughs> 
<laughs> How kind of you. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, let's let's just take that Band-Aid off right now because life is not perfect. You're never going to go through the rest of your, your swimming career, let alone your life without challenge, without adversity, without failure, and really embracing the idea that failure is okay. I mean, I, I, I think failure is a great thing uh, if you learn from it. Uh, you know, I think if you if you have your blinders on and you don't take advantage of the opportunity to learn from your failures, then then that's a that's a whole nother story. Um, but really, we try and create opportunities for them to learn from failure and how to communicate better, how to prepare better, how to just sort of be flexible and adaptable and, and handle adversity. So, yeah, that, that's kind of we, we try and set that up in our in our routine uh, every year. And, and oftentimes it's heavy in the fall. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned flexibility because as a follow-up, you know, that's, that's where I read that you were, you know, if you had uh, some swimmers who weren't doing well at a meet, I mean, there's a, some specific stories about Katie and Simone, you know, where you had to change things up for them, you know, so obviously you are flexible. <laughs> and um, is that something that you think uh, you are trying to teach your swimmers as well? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes that comes back to trust. Right. I don't um, I don't get to that place with someone like Katie or Simone without having built up trust in each other. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, for all the athletes that that we work with, um, Tracy Slusser, who's our associate head coach, who's phenomenal at what she does uh, for for us. Relationship building is really important. Uh, and communication is probably the cornerstone of of our relationship building. And. Um, when you're in a good place and you know that uh, things are going to be or are going to be heard the right way, you know, sometimes uh, what you say isn't necessarily what's received, but we, we try and work through that so that we can just kind of get to the point on things and know that, you know, it, it, if we need to, to say things um, or we need to adjust, the, those athletes understand and trust us and just the same, we understand and trust them. And uh, it makes it a lot easier to, to, make those changes in those moments or to have those hard conversations. So you're, uh, you're coaching two of the most exciting swimmers in the world right now in Katie and Simone. So what is a day in the life of walking on that pool deck and coaching a distance swimmer and a sprinter at the same time? And what, what is it like? Like, um, give us some stories. Is there a story or two that, that uh, you can tell about these, these two great women? Yeah, they're, they're very fun to work with. I can tell you that. I mean, sometimes we have to pinch ourselves because we're, you know, we're here in this amazing place. And here we are having two, you know, gold medalists and incredibly strong women and, and well beyond their, uh, their successes in the pool. They're both tremendous people. And so they're fun to work with on a, on a daily basis. And honestly, it's been really fun just to kind of see their relationship grow um, over the last uh, few years. They swam together on the team collegiately, but then they both turned professional at the same time. And so, you know, in the kind of that spring of 2018, for the last two plus years, they have spent a lot of time together and they, they've, you know, we've, we've collectively had conversations with the three of us about what we're doing and the plan and all of this. And so watching their relationship grow, even though they do swim totally different events and they're fairly different personalities, they, they really trust and rely on each other, uh, especially in those tough moments. And it's, it's fun. It's a couple times a week, even though they're, they're on different ends of the event spectrum, uh, they'll meet in the middle and, and we'll do some really good 200 work. 
um, and watching them kind of go at it in a competitive nature, but in a, in a positive competitive environment is, is really fun uh, as a coach. And so, um, yeah, it's just been, it's been tremendous to watch their growth as young people learning how to be a professional athlete and, you know, and just seeing them take ownership of what they do, you know, they, they come in and I think for all great athletes, one of the commonalities is they're, they're willing to work hard. I don't know that I've ever seen two that will embrace the, the work that's required more than these two. Uh, it is amazing um, how hard they work and how consistent they are. And it, it allows them to take ownership in their results. It's not, you know, if things don't go well, it's not her fault or his fault or, you know, so-and-so's fault. They're going to say, okay, what can I do better? And, and as coaches, that's, that's liberating because it also allows us to internalize like, okay, they weren't great in, in this event or we weren't great in this little cycle. And I know it's not from them not working hard enough or not committing enough to details. And so that allows us to internalize like, okay, where do we need to be better? You know, and, and just whether it's a weekly plan or a race strategy or strength and conditioning. So that part's really fun just to, to know that, you know, we're, we're all, all in. Tell us about death by relay. Oh yeah. Well, we're probably going to do that this, this coming Saturday. We, uh, normally it's more than just two people. Um, but we did it, uh, with just Katie and Simone. This was, uh, really, well, it was fun for me as a coach. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it was very fun for them, although they appreciated it afterwards. But we did a in short course during the the pandemic, we were in a a short course, uh, two lane pool in a backyard. They did a continuous 3000. We kind of had a, you know, a time goal to to hit. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was somewhere around 28 minutes and 15 seconds to do that 3000. And, you know, Katie would go and then Simone would go and, and it was just like a constant relay and Katie's swims were a little bit longer and would, would come shorter and Simone's were started out at kind of 200 and wouldn't go down to 50. But, you know, there's, there's a point where I think Katie went up a 400, Simone went a 200, Katie had to go a 200, Simone went a 50, and then Katie had to go back to a 300. So she had a 200 and a 300 with just a 50 for Simone in between. So you're getting like, you know, 25 seconds rest. But it was really fun. And it was kind of one of those things like, all right, well, we're doing this. It's going to be really hard, but we're doing it together. And they crushed it. And it was really fun. So yeah, we're actually doing that this this coming Saturday with our, we have more people now. We've got nine people that are here and we'll do a long course though. So it kind of takes on another, (laughs) another pain. Yeah. Did, did anybody get the average of the, of the hundreds on that, on that 3000? Uh, well, yeah, it, you know, essentially it's, um, oh my so God. So if it's a 28 minute 3000, yeah. that's, yeah. uh, 53 or something. I don't know. It's pretty fast. It's pretty fast. Pretty fast. <laughs> Speaking of the, like your workout group, what is that looking like right now with the pandemic? And are you got one in a lane twice a day, once a day? What is, what is it looking like for your training group? It's been mostly a normal schedule for the last probably coming up on eight weeks it's not a full schedule Uh, using katie as an example she's normally 10 water touches a week and she's at nine so our our weekly volume is down a little bit but it it has been really good work for what it's been and and we didn't want to press too hard too early with anybody you know for all of them whether they're focuses the hope hopefully the ncaa championships in March of 2021, or 
Olympic trials in June of 2021, that's still a long ways away and, and pressing too hard too early uh, is going to make the fall really drag on. So I, I feel as though we've managed that pretty well in trying to, you know, do some work, but not feel completely overwhelmed. We go mostly long course where if you've ever been to our facility, you know that we're very fortunate in the amount of water that we have. We have two 50 meter pools kind of stacked right on top of each other with an additional uh, 25 meter pool. That's the one in my, my virtual background here. And so we're swimming one per lane. Uh, we've got a group of nine and our long course pools are both 10 lanes. So it's perfect. Uh, we can all be in, in, in one pool right now with, um, with everyone with their own lane and long course. So it, it's been, it's been pretty good. We're going to get to a, a place here where we're going to kind of ramp things up a little bit more. But one of the interesting things about the, how the pandemic has really shut down our normal fall, you know, our college kids aren't going to compete until January at, at the earliest. That's a PAC 12 rule. Um, and our pros may not really be in a normal meet setting until that time as well. And so we just, we need to make sure that we're not just grinding for four months without any sort of uh, break. And so we're trying to create these little opportunities every four weeks or so to, to do some things differently um, here at home at Stanford and throw on some tech suits and whether it's a racing effort or a set or just death by relay this coming Saturday, just like different things that we can do to, to switch it up and not feel that they're just in a rut. That's our, our, our concern. So there will be no collegiate training groups till January. Well, we'll have our, the rest of our team is coming back in the next three, four weeks, but they won't be able to compete until January. Okay. Until January. Yeah. So when everyone comes back, we're going to have, it's going to be a little, we're trying to still figure out the matrix of, of lane spacing and, and how many you know, different workouts we need to run, but we'll figure all that part out. But the, the one thing that we can't, you know, you can't duplicate is real racing. We can, we can get up on the blocks and race each other and that's great, but you can't duplicate having to go compete against uh, somebody else. And that's not in our, that's not uh, possible for our college team until January per the new PAC 12 legislation. So as a 2021, who would have thought that would be the, the 2021 Olympic coach for the women, uh, you're, you're going into an unprecedented time. So trials, uh, people may or may not be in as good a shape as they think they are. What, what are your thoughts on what this Olympic team might look like based on the different training regimens or lack thereof of all these swimmers out here trying to make this 2021 team? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think the biggest difference is going to be the, the Olympic trials themselves. If, if there's no spectators, I think the, the event takes on a very different feel. And, and so I, I think that'll actually be the, the biggest uh, impact. You know, the, the part about whether people are prepared or not, the one thing that I am confident of in this country is uh, the ability of our coaches and our best athletes to be prepared regardless of the challenges that they may face. Um, our coaches are creative. Our athletes are creative. Uh, you know, just following some of them, even on social media over the last few months, just, you know, they've transformed their garage into a weight room and they're swimming uh, just on, on surgical tubing in a little, you know, four foot basically hole. And so, you know, you can figure it out and it's not going to look normal or feel normal. 
but I don't think it's going to get in the way of, of Team USA performing uh, really well uh, at the trials to send our best possible team out to Tokyo next summer. And I feel really good about that. And I, I trust this group uh, to be able to do that. That's great. Um, you know, I would ask, and this, you know, this is a question we always ask, is, you know, is that one of the things that, that makes a champion, you know, for almost a decade now, you've coached just some tremendous women swimmers, you know, what, what characteristics do you see beyond just making do with your little tiny four foot pool and surgical tu- tubing, you know, under adversity, what, what, what characteristics do you see in these incredible women that you've had the opportunity to, to mentor and coach? You know, I think confidence and you build confidence through what you do um, every day. And, you know, you're just continuing to, to make your foundation stronger and stronger. And that's through work ethic. It's through commitment to details. Um, it, it's through, um, you know, being open to change. I mean, mm. some of our very best athletes are the ones that are the most willing to make change, which can be scary. You know, you, you do things well, you like how you do it. I would put myself in this bucket <laughs> that I do well, and this is how I do it. Right. Uh, but, you know, we try and empower them to, to like, Hey, it's change is good and you can make a change. And if they're confident, there isn't anything that they can't do. Um, uh, how have you changed? Uh, you know, I, I think I've, I've changed a little bit just with the, the sport has evolved. I think, you know, in, in 20 years that I, 20, whatever, 23 years, maybe that I've been uh, coaching in college that uh, it's definitely, it's evolved. And there's, uh, I used to be very driven by numbers of, of volume and, and um, you know, just kind of work. Uh, I've, I've softened that up. I think we're working as hard, if not harder than ever, uh, but it looks and feels a little bit different. I'm a little less rigid in how I evaluate uh, our training cycles. Um, I think I've become a much better communicator. And I've become that because of the people that I'm surrounded by, you know, here at home with, with my wife, um, but with, with Tracy, with our athletes, like just, you know, learning um, how to be a better communicator and trying to not be reactionary. I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I can, I can definitely you know, go down that path. And so I try to, I try yeah. to avoid that before speaking. Um, so there's <laughs> little ways that, I, you know, I think I've evolved and, um, but really stayed true to who I am at my core. And that's to do, do really good work um, and to uh, give confidence to these young women or young men that, that I've coached over the years to, to believe in themselves. What uh, do you think confidence is something that can be developed in an athlete or do you think it's an innate quality? We, we talk about this all the time. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I think it's uh, easier if it's innate, you know, but um, I do think that you can develop confidence uh, over time. That's a, I do believe that's a slow process. Um, but it is uh, just like things can chip away at your confidence you can also continue to put things in your back pocket that are just going to, you know, build confidence, things that you can reference. Um, and, and we talk about that with our team, you know, we do a really hard set or we go through a really hard cycle of things that we're doing. And it's like, remember this, you know, when you're, when you're behind the blocks uh, in March or June or August, like think back to these moments um, and, and remember the, the effort that you put in. Cause it's, it's difficult in a time centric sports, right? We are, we are constantly evaluated by the clock and 
that can be <laughs> can be harmful at times. And so, you know, finding ways to build confidence without having to have your best practice of your life every day. Um, and Tracy and I joke all the time about Maya Dorado. She was the queen of like remembering things almost better than they really were. It, <laughs> it was kind of her My husband does job. that too. Yeah. She, you know, we'd, we'd do a workout and we'd be like, oh, that, was, that was okay. And you know, <laughs> like, that was amazing. Her, you're like, Oh, it was great. Yeah. I did this, this, and this. And what a blessing, right? What a blessing to, to have that. So uh, I think it's a little bit of both. So you build confidence based on these hard things that you've done. You remember the hard things that you've done. Is that what you're saying? Okay. Absolutely. Let's, let's, flashback to when you first started coaching, Greg, if someone had told you, you know, 20 years from now, you are going to reach the pinnacle of the sport and be the head Olympic swimming coach. Take us on that journey from maybe uh, not having that vision or did you have the vision? What was your path? Like just carry us a little bit through your coaching career and some Maybe what your biggest obstacle was, but how did you get here, Greg? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, it's been an interesting path. I was not an elite athlete as a kid. I was a decent swimmer, but wasn't certainly a great swimmer, nowhere near the level of, of these kids. But I just loved the sport and I loved the coaches that I worked with. Um, my club coach, Charlie Kennedy at, at Suburban in um, Philadelphia, and then uh, Rich Coppola, uh, who was my, my coach at Ryder University and, and Steve Fletcher and Shannon Daly, who are now coaching uh, at Ryder, they made my experience very rewarding. And I wanted to kind of get back. And I, I knew I always wanted to, to coach and teach, but I thought it would be more in the high school arena. And, and But when I got into like my second or third year in college, I knew this is, I want to coach in college. This is sort of the, the world that I want to live in. And as you know, like life is all about people and the people you interact with and the, the, how they impact your life in those particular moments and was really fortunate to, to get a, a job at Princeton, my second year of coaching. And I had no business thinking that I could get to this spot, but I always felt like I wanted to win a national championship. And I mean, I don't even know what that means at the time. <laughs> right. Um, it sounds really good though. Yeah. It does yeah. sound really good. <laughs> Susan Teeter, who was my boss at Princeton, I was the assistant women's coach there for two years. I mean, she's just a rock star. And she taught me a lot about being a professional and how to be a young man coaching women. And uh, a lot of the, just sort of the professional side of the sport. And she was the manager on the, um, both 96 and 2000. Uh, but in 2000, that was when I was, was coaching with her. She was the manager of the Olympic team you know, had her Olympic ring. And I just set my goal that I wanted to get two rings in my life. One was uh, an Olympic ring and one was a national championship ring. You know, just kind of put that out of my path. And I got connected with John Urbanchek and, and then got the job at UCLA and worked with Cindy and she was amazing. And um, I would say the hardest years were when I first became a head coach at Pacific. Uh, so University of Pacific is, is in Stockton, California, Northern California. And it's, just myself and one other coach for men's and women's team and, and just trying to, to kind of rebuild. And those years were really hard, but I, I, I learned a ton from that experience. Um, and then I went back to being an assistant because I, I felt like, all right, it, I, this is going to be my pathway. Um, and I got to, to Berkeley and worked with Dave and it was an incredible experience. I probably would have stayed a lot longer had 
the opportunity here at Stanford not opened up. And, and even when we got to Stanford, it still probably seemed pretty far away. They hadn't won a national championship since 1998. And, you know, we're, we're kind of coming off a little bit of a, a downturn in terms of Olympic performance. And so, you know, we just kind of put our head down and, and went to work and, four years later had an incredible experience in Rio and, and then subsequently have, have just really continued that success both um, at the collegiate level, but also at the international level. And it, it's been really fun, but it's about the people that, you know, you, you, you surround yourself with that come into your life that make you better. And you, you hope that you reciprocate that. Um, so it's been a really fun journey and, you know, I'm, I'm super happy here. I really don't anticipate coaching anywhere else other than this place and um you know just we love it here as a family and so just so blessed and fortunate and realize that you know that there aren't many places like this and this is kind of the pinnacle of of women's college swimming and you know we're, we're going to work hard to hold on to this <laughs> did you choose to coach women or is that just the way your career path went and what do you love what do you love about coaching women yeah, it's different than coaching men. That's for sure. I've heard that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, my, the very first job I had was at William Mary and that was men's and women's. And I was assistant coach. And uh, at the end of that year, I made $8,000 that year. It's like, I need to you know, find a job that I can actually make some money. So then I made 10 at Princeton. I thought I was, oh boy. you know, and I just was fortunate. I, I kind of applied to a bunch of things and uh, Susan Teeter picked up the phone and called me and I, I answered and this was, you know, before cell phones really, or before cell phones were popular. And I just happened to be in my office and picked up the phone and she just started hammering me with questions um, and knew that I was like, all right, this is, this is awesome. And it's close to home and all this stuff. But yeah, the, the relationship uh, I think that we build with these women is, is um, really meaningful. It's meaningful for, for me as a coach, for sure. And just the, the way we can kind of go about some things uh, through the process of getting from point A to point B to, to success. It, it's not a complete 180 from, from the mindset of, of, you know, going through that process with a men's swimmer, but it is just a different deal. I feel like I've found my niche with that and, can, can you be specific about how it's different? I think the communication is different. You know, I, I do think that, you know, I'm, I'm really mindful of what I say and how I say it and making sure that the message that's received is the message that's intended. <laughs> because I think that's going to be, you know, filtered and evaluated and... For women more than for men? Yeah, yeah for women more than men. Because I do think they... Um, how does this come out? I, they are gonna like what I say really matters to them. And so mm -hmm. if I don't say it the right way, it's gonna be negatively impactful. Uh, where guys like, you know, at the time, and, and maybe this has changed too, it's been eight years since I've coached men, but you could be a little more direct in the moment. And not that I, I don't sort of beat around the bush, but I am thoughtful about what I'm saying and, and hoping that, you know, the message is heard. Like sometimes with guys, it's the like anger that's heard. And here with, with women, it's the message needs to be heard. And I'm not any softer on that. It just is, I've got to make sure how I say it is, is just on point. I find it just so inspiring that uh, there are very few Division I women head coaches, and yet you've had two of them be your mentors or help you along your path, and, and Cindy Gallagher at UCLA and Susan Teeter at Princeton. So that's kind of cool. No, I think it's, it, it is great. And unfortunately, we're not keeping enough women in the profession. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I feel strongly about is, is head coaches creating 
an environment for their assistant coaches, men or women, because, you know, the, the new normal, right. Is, is men are also uh, staying home more and, and helping raise families and head coaches creating an, an environment for their assistant coaches. That's a healthy environment. That's, it's not balance, right. People talk about like work-life balance, like that's not necessarily realistic, but like work-life harmony, how can we create an environment where it's okay for, for a coach not to be on deck and to not feel guilty about it. Right. Mm -hmm. I think as young coaches, you feel tremendous guilt when you're not there and, um, and being as head coaches, not contributing to that, that, that guilt that they're already going to feel and creating an environment where, you know, you're, you're empowering your assistant coaches to, to do the things that they need to be do that they need to do. And Hey, we're going to, we're going to get it done. So I, I have been fortunate and we've been fortunate that, uh, ironically, the, the, the woman that, uh, replaced Cindy Gallagher at UCLA, Jordan Wolfram, she was our volunteer coach here in wow, 2013, nice. 2014. And, That's wonderful. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's cool, right? That, that feels good about it. We've had quite a few of our volunteers that have gone on to get, um, coaching positions. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll hopefully just continue to help create those opportunities. So you see that as part of your job is helping your assistant volunteers and so in their yeah. career. So yeah. how does coaching impact your family? I know you've got two youngest children. Yeah, they're yeah now now both teenagers, uh, fifteen and thirteen, and it's it's hard on them. I think it's hard on my wife. Just um, you know, they, they're probably tired of me now because I've been home for months. <laughs> uh, Go back I, to work, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> I think the hardest part is is the travel, as best I can, and I'm not. I'm not perfect in this sense, but as best I can, I try not to bring too much home with me uh, emotionally. You know, I don't, I don't spend a lot of time actually doing work when I get home, but, but there are times when it's difficult to, to kind of step away from the emotion of, of how much we put into our jobs. Um, so I, I, I just am so impressed with how they have allowed me to pursue this without the guilt of being away. And so, you know, I'm just, I'm super appreciative. They're, they're amazing. And they do travel a bit, uh, which is helpful. They always go to the NCAA championships. Uh, they went to the Olympic trials in 2016. They were going to go in, uh, this summer. Uh, they were going to go to Tokyo, you know, remains to be seen um, what that'll look like for them next summer, but it's helpful to, to have some of that. So. I love the, the, saying a work-life harmony and not necessarily work-life balance because balance is meaning even right greg what has been your biggest obstacle in your life uh well gee that's kind of a (laughs) uh that's a tough question biggest obstacle in my life or one of them yeah one of them was was i think uh early on um when i moved to ucla it was just being away from family that was hard especially in a coach's schedule. Um, it's difficult to find time to go back and visit. Um, so I, we really uh, embrace those opportunities when we have them because um, family is big for us. I'm one of five. My wife is one of 11. So we're oh both from, from pretty big families and her family is LA and then generally spread all over the place. And mine is still all out in Philadelphia. Um, my dad is now in, in Florida. Um, so just, you know, kind of managing that. And my mom got sick about five years ago and or seven years ago and passed about five years ago and, mm. and not being, you know, not being there all the time was, was hard. So, you know, those are the things that, that um, you have to just 
you got to roll with it. And so I would, you know, leave and fly East and be gone for three days from the teams. It's fine. You know, that's why I have somebody uh, who's as good as she is and Tracy and like not worrying about her uh, working with the group. Like she's got it. I'm gone, you know, and I'll be back in a couple of days. So that's beautiful. So that's an example of work-life balance. Or I mean, not balance, harmony. Yeah. <laughs> that's At the beginning, work. you talked about how, you know, you teach your athletes to fail. Do you, do you feel like you've ever really had a failure that has defined you or, or built you? You know, I think there are moments. I don't think necessarily um, sort of like huge life failures. Right. Uh, fortunately, knock on wood. Um, but you know, I, I definitely in, in coaching, just realizing that, Hey, there's some things that, you know, I could have, I could have done better here and here and here. Um, and we, we really do a good job of like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm going to self-reflect at the end of each little cycle of our season, um, and be self-critical and like, what do I need to do better? And so I, I'm always feeling like I'm failing from that regard, just in little ways <laughs> to, to make improvements on. Do your swimmers, do you have your swimmers do that as well? The self-reflection kind yeah, of? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would say theirs is more end of year where ours is a little bit more kind of within and that way we can help them make some changes and then really kind of do the, do the full deal at the end of a, a year. Um, but we, we tend to meet with them pretty frequently. So we're constantly talking about things. That's great. What routines or rituals do you personally practice that you think have made you successful? Well, I start my day with coffee. That's actually, I live on campus. So we're, we're very blessed to have the opportunity to live here on Stanford's campus. And we're at the corner end of campus and literally across the street is a Starbucks. So I, <laughs> I walk over to Starbucks, I get my Starbucks, I walk back to the house. Well, actually I get Starbucks for my wife and I walk back to the house, drop her Starbucks off. And then I get in a golf cart. And one of my favorite things to do is I drive my golf cart to the pool for work for the day. My Dorado bought me a golf cart as a thank you after the 2016 Olympic oh, Games. That's- Nice. Still probably the coolest gift ever. Yeah, I'd say so. That's great. Yeah. So, um, you know, I just like even little things like that. I really enjoy golf. And so I've been trying to play more golf, um, especially during the pandemic. Uh, you know, when there aren't a whole lot of things that you can do, but golf is one of them. And, and that's now become a little bit of a family thing as well. So that's been helpful. So just trying to find the, the little things that you really enjoy. I'm just a huge sports fan um so you know a lot of the the weekends we'll spend watching uh collegiate events or professional events even like i love watching golf on tv i know some people can't do it for me it's like just, oh i uh, love it it's so relaxing yeah. yes yeah the quiet the quiet voices of the announcers <laughs> so it's you know those those things are what really helped me kind of get through the day and get through the week wonderful wonderful well, um, in respecting your time, we want to get you out of here straight up on the hour. Um, before we, we go to a, we go, we go to what we call a sprint round, which is some fun okay. questions. But okay. before we do that, is there anything that we have not asked you that you'd like to share with us? No, no, this is no. awesome. Okay. Great. Well, well, wonderful. All right. Then I mean, let's, the let's, sprint, I mean, you can't, you yeah. can't tease the sprint round and then ask if I've got other stuff. <laughs> He's doing it ready. He's doing his push-ups to get ready for the sprint. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. You might, will you be as fast as Jason Lezak? That's the question. No, not a chance. <laughs> okay. All right. So we just quickly ask you, uh, you know, just we're looking for a super short answer. Take your mark. Cat or dog? Dog. Although I, it's not short answer, but I am That's allergic okay. to both. But oh dog. my gosh. Okay. <laughs> you need a doodle. All right. Yeah. Red or blue? Red. Oops. Milk chocolate or dark chocolate? Dark chocolate. Kickboard or no kickboard? Okay, so I'm going to have to qualify my answer a little bit. As a coach, I like them to kick on a kickboard. As an athlete, I hated kicking on the kickboard. So I don't take that for what it is. I like it. I like it. Uh, mountains or beach? Beach. Football or baseball? <sighs> baseball. <laughs> that was a hard one. I love it. Very well, I love, uh, my son plays baseball and, and I, one of the things I love more than anything is watching him play. I am also a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan. I went to the Super Bowl to watch oh, them. Oh, wow. Nice. So it's tough, yeah, it's a tough one. iPhone or Android? iPhone. <laughs> I think we know the answer to this next question. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Morning person or night owl? Morning person. Okay, this is going to be a little sexist, Greg, but we, we, we're women and we get to ask it. So we got to know you deeper. Boxers or briefs? Or boxer briefs? Boxer briefs. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right, I get, Maria. I get the next few. Um, favorite color? Red. <laughs> Good answer. Favorite pizza topping? Ooh, anchovies. Ooh, Ooh, I love it. My favorite answer ever. Yes. (laughs) You could be in our our family because Maria and I are sisters-in-law. I don't know if you know that, but. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. We're in this, we're, we're in the same family. Yeah. 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 Anchovies. We we will order pizza and then get a little can and put the anchovies on the pizza. Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Favorite vegetable. Uh, Oh man. Uh, Asparagus if it's done properly. Okay, not overcooked. I did. Uh, well, I'm not going to ask you your favorite swim complex. <laughs> I no. um, so, do you listen to music before you work out or swim, or is, is there a? Yeah, I'm a big Spotify fan. We um, we actually we play music during practice. I think that's been one of the things that's kind of kept the environment light at times. Nice. Uh, we have a sort of a rolling um, schedule through the week and, you know, try and give everybody a little bit of what they like. And so each day generally has a theme, um, but I, I do enjoy um, listening to music while I'm working out as well. What would, what would your theme be? Yeah. What would your song or theme? Yeah. When, when uh, pops to I, mind. I'm, I'm a bit of an old soul. So if you're sort of early Motown uh, wow. kind of going then backwards to, sort of Rat Pack and and kind of in that sort of like early 50s oh, cool. uh, till sort of early part nice. of Motown. I, although I do love all music. Honestly, I have a pretty eclectic um, music taste. But if I'm, my default is going to be Sam Cooke or Nina Simone or Bobby Darin or Ella Fitzgerald. Like just, that's kind of my, my world that I live in. I do, do your athletes indulge you on that? Do yeah. they let you have a, yeah, have a turn? Have some crooning. Have a, um, every Wednesday during the, the college year, um, we have music education class on Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> That's great. Our, 
it's our recovery day and life aerobic day. And so um, I'll, I'll either play an artist or a, uh, a genre that they may not be as familiar with. And um, yeah, we've had some good ones. We did Ray Charles. We did uh, Aretha Franklin. Of course, they know who Aretha Franklin is. At right. But like just getting into, you know, hey, these are more of her songs that you may not be familiar with. Um, or we'll do like, you know, 90s hip hop or whatever that may look like. So, yeah, we have. I want to I want to swim for you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I want to. Well, I want to be there on Wednesdays and watch and listen. <laughs> OK, uh, we know you have siblings. You said come from a family of five bo- mm-hmm. uh, brothers or sisters. Three boys, two girls. Wonderful. Favorite Star Wars. Where do you fit in the five? Sorry, sorry, Kelly. I'm the the last. I'm the baby. Oh, you're the baby. Baby. Oh, well, that explains the communication skills. That explains. (laughs) Uh, Favorite Star Wars character? Han Solo. Okay. Uh, Nice. Do you cook? Can you cook? Yes, I do. Uh, I really enjoy cooking. My wife is more of the baker, so... But she's also like through pandemic, she has uh, really mastered homemade pasta. Um, oh, wow. So she'll make, wow. she'll make homemade pasta and then I'll make meatballs and, and pepperoni and gravy. That's uh, sort of family recipe. Um, but I, I generally cook every night. My, my wife doesn't cook as much. She does more of the, again, the baking and the, and the doughs. Um, so it's, it's fun. We really enjoy it. We, we, I don't think we ordered food I think we went two full months without like at the beginning of pandemic, we just kind of shut it down and we, we cooked every day. And now we've, we've softened that up a little bit, we'll, but we'll only order out once hardly ever twice a week, but usually once a week. Yeah. Forget Wednesdays. Very I want to nice. eat dinner with you guys. That sounds great. <laughs> uh, okay. Very so good. we, we asked uh, this question of, of the swimmers, but I'd, I'd like to sort of turn it around. We, uh, we ask what word comes to mo- most come to mind when you dive into the water. What, what word would you like your swimmers to have in their minds as they're diving into the water for a, a big event? Let's do this. Yeah. Like Let's it. do it. I love it. I love it. Well, coach, it has been such a pleasure. I can really see has. why your teams are so successful and we wish you all the best in the rest of this crazy 2020 and then hoping 2021 is is a great year and that the uh, Olympic team is, is our most successful team ever. That's what I'm hoping for. We'll so. be watching yeah. you. Thank you so much for your yeah. time. It's been yeah. wonderful. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Maria. Yeah. Thanks, Kelly. Alrighty. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Takeaways, takeaways, takeaways. We've heard from you that your favorite section of our podcast is the takeaways. Thank you so much for that feedback. But before we get to the takeaways today, We wanted to ask you if you would please give us a five-star review. That way, more people will be able to find our podcast. Also, if you could subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, you'll never miss a podcast episode if you subscribe. And please share our podcast with your friends. And now, the takeaways. All right. Well, Maria, what an exciting interview with the, the 2021 Olympic coach, Greg Meehan. I yeah, mean, that I was can fantastic. S- I can see why he brings the best out in his swimmers, and you know, I you know, I I think I'd follow him anywhere. Yes, very. <laughs> uh, they're they the, as they say, success leaves clues. Yeah, so, that's um, good. Yeah, yeah. So I, um, what what was your first takeaway? Well, I I loved his emphasis on communication. Uh, he's so obviously so intentional. Um, you know, he's mostly coaching women for the last eight years. And 
you know, he, we talked about that and he, the point he made was that he wanted to make sure that what he wanted to convey was being heard. And I, I think that's just beautiful because so often we throw things around, throw ideas around, and we accuse other people of misunderstanding us or not hearing us. But really, it's our responsibility as communicators to to make sure that what the idea that we want to convey is being accepted. And I'm going to take this home to my own marriage because lots of times I say things to Jim and then I get mad later if he misunderstands or doesn't, you know, and it's really my responsibility as the communicator to make sure that I'm conveying what I want to convey and that is hearing what I want. So I really loved that. And clearly he's learned that and he's intentional about it and it probably makes him a great husband and coach. Yes. I think that's huge when, you know, when you're on deck, you know, he said coaching men, you might, he might be angry or, you know, you might be a little bit more emotional, but I think that part of conveying the the message that people hear is not uh, making it too emotional or not making it uh, come across as harsh. Right. So I, I love that. I think that's a great takeaway. So I think, you know, the, the question that I asked him, which is kind of like the secret sauce question that I was getting at, uh, what, or you asked this question, but it, it's one of my favorites, what commonality do champions have? And he just didn't even hesitate confidence. Oh, yeah. And that is so huge for all of us. Just that when you have confidence going into a situation, you're just it just makes it so much more likely that you're going to succeed at that task, whether it's swimming or any, anything that you're doing. So then I followed up with the question of, can you develop that? He said, well, it's great if they come in, you know, and they have it intrinsically, but it can, he said, it can be developed slowly with adjusting to change, doing things that you think are hard and then you complete them and then you gain the confidence. Right. So I, I, I think you and I are, we've talked to some of a really high level coaches that say it's, it's just really hard to develop confidence, but many coaches say you can develop it. And I think you and I believe that you can, because I mean, you're a perfect example, Maria, of developing your confidence as an athlete. And uh, so I, I loved that he, you know, pegged that as something that can be developed and that's so important. Yeah. And part of it is just remembering what you did. We've talked about that before, but he, he made, you know, a big point of that. It's, it's remembering, yeah, you got all this stuff in your back pocket. So yeah, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. My, my second takeaway was uh, his beautiful discussion of work-life harmony. Um, you know, we talk often about how hard and difficult coaching is, you know, there are ways traveling, so on and so forth. But you know, and we have this idea of like, there's got to be balance, but there is no true balance. But, but living a life, harmony is a great word because it's being peaceful with the choices that you're making and making choices that make you peaceful. And so, you know, you know, he talked about being away to visit his family and not having to feel like he had to be on deck all the time and hoping that, you know, more people will get into coaching if they can, you know, um, you know, bring this concept to coaching. And it's not just that you have to give your life to it. And he, you know, he, he talked about uh, music education Wednesdays, which, you know, it's not really a, a work life harmony thing, but in a sense it is, he loves music. And so he brings this aspect of his personality and what he loves to his life and to his work. 
and you know and it's got to make him happy you know so he's creating this harmony in his own life you know with the way he he coaches so i i I think that's a great take home. I mean, I can feel pulled in a million directions, but I often remind myself that I'm doing what I want to do. And like, I'm enjoying this right now, you know? And so I have a lot, I have harmony, even if, you know, I feel a little squished sometimes. I think I have good harmony because I'm, I, I know what my priorities are and I'm doing what I wanted to be doing. Yes. I like the tweak on the words there, uh, work-life harmony versus right. work-life balance, right. because right. truly there's, there's probably never going to be a balance if you're, especially if you're an Olympic swim coach. Right. Um, now, I know repetition is the mother of learning, but when right. we hear great advice, I think it can always be reiterated. And I, I need this one. And I know we talked about not choosing this as one of the takeaways, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna bring it because it was the top of the interview. I asked him, what, are, what can we do to get through this pandemic? And we've heard it from a lot of other great champions, but it's one day at a time. Right. And I think that is something that I need to be reminded of. And it was his advice to everyone out there, whether, you know, you're postponing your wedding, you're postponing your NCAAs, you're postponing your Olympic trials, that just take it one day at a time. In fact, uh, you know, recently we interviewed Colin Jones, who said the same thing. That's how he gets through one day at a time. And I just, I think it's, it's such sage advice that, I can hear it. I can hear it every single time. So, well, I, I, I completely agree with you. And, you know, and I, I would add that the harder times you're in, the, the more true that bit of advice is, because if you're really overwhelmed, all you have to do is the next, you know, right thing. And, you know, like he said, control what you can control the rest, you got to let go. And if it sometimes that just means, you know, for instance, you know, in times in my life when I've been really overwhelmed or even depressed, sometimes it's just getting out of bed and making the bed. That's what I can control. That's what I can do. That's the next right thing. That's a small step. So I, you know, anybody out there who is struggling during this, you know, well, we all struggle, but, you know, that's just do one small thing. That's the right thing and break, you know, and then do the next right thing. Yes, Maria, that, that just the way you said that reminds me. Um, I remember the day I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I was just flipped out, obviously. And I called my friend, uh, Arlene, who had been through breast cancer fellow swimmer. And she just said, Kelly, don't worry about, you know, a week from now, don't worry about the surgery. Just, just what's, what's next. She said, what is next? I said, okay, it's the MRI. She said, well, then let's just think about, let's just get through that. And then let's get through the next thing. And so I just, it's just, I I can hear it a lot. So um, great point. Great interview. Unbelievable why stuff and fun stuff at the end with his sprint around. And um, it's really going to be fun to watch uh, the Olympic team next year under Greg. Yeah, it sure is. And I love the interview and I love seeing you, Kelly, as always. Love you. Me too. Love you. Right. Bye-bye. This week's quote of the week comes to us from Greg Meehan. For me, life is all about people and most importantly, the people you surround yourself with. You've been listening to the Champions Mojo podcast with host Kelly Palace and Maria Parker. Champions Mojo is produced by Cobra Media and a new episode debuts every Tuesday. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Follow Champions Mojo on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Champions Mojo.